podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your World Cup Daily. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Very, very cold. Well, that's about normal for early December. But bear in mind that however cold you are, and however cold I am, we're not nearly as cold as Guy is because he lives in Iceland. Yes, I do feel very, very selfish for having brought up anything to do with temperature when, you know, you're only surrounded by... I suspect, like, gravel and, you know, ice and things that look like ice for most of the year. Like, put it this way. People where you live walk their dogs. People where I live walk their dogs. People where he lives walk their polar bears. That's the difference. And we are here today to discuss the first two quarterfinals in the 2022 World Cup. Those being Croatia versus Brazil. And the Netherlands versus Argentina. So, Carl, let's start with Croatia versus Brazil. This will be the fifth meeting between these countries, the third at a World Cup. Croatia have never beaten Brazil. Brazil have won the last three games in a row, including both of those World Cup ties in 2006 and 2014. They'll be heavily favoured to win this game. They topped their group. Coming out, coming out ahead of Switzerland, Cameroon, and Serbia, whereas Croatia finished second in their group behind Morocco, but ahead of Belgium and Canada. To get through the knockouts, we obviously saw what Brazil did in slapping South Korea around. Croatia needed penalties to get by Japan, and in those penalties, they needed Japan to be absolutely dreadful. This is an interesting game, though, because the Croatians can't be overlooked because they have a real habit of almost playing to the level of their opponent. So they're more than capable, I think, of raising their game to match Brazil. Whether they can do it for 90 minutes, I don't know, but I know they can do it in spells. Yeah, I think so. Um you know, obviously the, the big strength of them is the midfield. No, no secrets about that. Um, I think that there won't be any, let's say, inferiority complex from the part of Croatia about this game. Uh, certainly in terms of recent World Cup, let's say, obviously you get them to the, the final last time. Um, in fact, I don't think Croatia have ever been past the group stage and not got to the semis, have they, at the World Cup? They got a third in France. 98? I don't think they've ever been out of the group stage apart from that. So, I doubt that there will be any, um, let's say, feeling of being a massive underdog. Being the underdog, perhaps, but that's not like a, a negative thing as such with Croatia anyway. 
We know that they've got plenty of technical ability. We know that they do struggle as well to um, get too many numbers in the box and be a constant presence uh, in and around the final third at times. Uh, I would be very, very surprised if... Um, Goodness me, completely forgot his name there. Bruno, Bruno Petkovic plays again up front. I thought he was a massive waste of space um, in, the, in the last round. Um, just very, very predictable play up until now with whoever has been centre forward. I think it's worked slightly better when they've had Kramaric coming inside to be a second uh, striker from the right, but still not ideal. I think there's still something there for them to figure out. So for this game, I think it probably suits them a bit more if they can sit back and try to defend uh, and have you know very hard work in midfield and then try to hit Brazil on the break once they've committed a few players forward. They haven't really had that too much uh, throughout the group stages and up until here because obviously Morocco were happy to defend so Croatia had a lot of possession. They were trying to break them down but it was a little bit um, a little bit sticky at times the play obviously when it goes through Brozovic or whoever in the middle, it's it's much quicker, it's much sharper, but still that link play in the final third is not always what you need it to be to break down deep-sitting defences. So maybe the fact that Brazil should come out a lot more probably suits Croatia a bit better. I think that's a good call. Uh, just to confirm, you are correct, Croatia have never gotten out of the group stage and haven't reached at least a semi-final. Their first World Cup as Croatia was 98, they finished third. 02 group stage, 06 group stage, didn't qualify in 2010. In 2014 group stage, runners-up last time out. So we'll see if the trend continues. But I do think you're right about a couple of things there. Number one, Petkovic was just dreadful uh, in that game against Japan and really didn't offer anything. And when Budimir came on, he didn't offer anything either. And the issue they have is that the one attacking player who might offer something is Orsic. But the issue with him is he's going to play in a wide role, which means Kramaric has to play centrally. And like you said, he does seem more comfortable in those wider roles. And when he's had his best club seasons, it's generally been when he's not the nine, when he's playing off a nine or he's playing as a wide forward. I wonder if they might consider potentially playing someone like Mario Pasalic through the middle. Someone who'll drop back in and help them in midfield and Kramaric and Perisic can play wider and drop back in and they can really pack that central zone because the one thing they can't allow to happen is they can't allow Brazil to just play through them because if that happens and they start to get dragged out of position and they lose their rotations, they're going to be in big trouble. The other thing they have to do is they have to ensure that Luka Modric isn't having to pick the ball up off the toes of his centre-back just to get touches. Mm. They've got to find ways to play through the lines and get him the ball in areas where he can hurt Brazil because there's a lot of good players in this team. We're both huge fans of Mateo Kovacic. You mentioned Marcelo Brozovic, who's one of the best holding midfield players in the world. We've talked about Gvardiol. Juranovic at right back is a good player. Perisic is obviously a very good player. And in the right role, Kramaric is a good player. But the only great, like truly great player in this team is Luka Modric. And if they don't 
put him in positions to enable him to play at his best, I don't see how they hurt Brazil. Bar a counter-attack. Yeah, I think counters and set pieces are probably primarily what we're looking at here because Croatia do have A, good delivery, and B, a lot of aerial power. Uh, Brazil have defended set plays really well, I have to say. Um, it's, it's been very, very organised and very aggressive on the front foot in terms of you know clearing the first ball into the box and so on. But even so, you know, neither of us want to see Lovren doing too much in matches we're invested in, but he's okay in the air uh, from an attacking sense. Gradiol, again, the same. He, he's decent. There's three or four players who can put good delivery in and plenty of players, even all the forwards who uh, largely lumps up front, Levaya, if he's playing, or Pekovic, they're big. They're big players who are strong, decent in the air, can get even a flick or whatever it is on. So they have got a bit of a threat there as well. But you can't just rely on that to break down Brazil. Because again, you know, we've spoken about Brazil and the, let's say, less than elite level defenders that they have uh, at the moment, certainly the in the fullback areas at the very least. But again, they've not really been tested too much, only conceded one goal. Maybe this is an area where Brazil's confidence, which has been increasing steadily through the tournament, you would imagine, uh, 2-0, 1-0, 1-0, 4-1, they haven't really had anyone have a go at them. So maybe it's something that they slightly overlook during play. If they are dominated possession again and they get into that rhythm of thinking, we just need to score the first goal and we'll be on our way, blah, blah, blah. That's when Croatia have to sense their moments to, like you said, get Modric on the ball as much as possible. Kovacic carrying the ball as much as possible. Relieving the pressure, sure, but making sure that they do give Brazil plenty to worry about from a defensive standpoint as well. Yeah, they need to make that defensive unit work for Brazil because they haven't had to so far. It's been very, very plain sailing. Serbia turned up and played some of the most cowardly football you're going to see. Obviously, they rested everybody in the the final game against Cameroon. And the Swiss, I mean, they don't really serve much of a threat to, to most teams. Then, obviously, they played Korea and the game got away from Korea very, very quickly. It was over within, what, 36 minutes, Paqueta scores to make it 4-0, but it had been over once Richarlison scored on 29 minutes. So you would like to see that defence put through their put through their paces and, and see if it can hold up. I do think it's significantly better with Militao right back and Danilo left back. For some reason, Danilo defends a lot better as a left back. Maybe it's because he's less comfortable going forward from that role. So he doesn't get caught out of position. But he's a better defender than Alexandro at this point in their respective careers. And Alex Tellez has never been a particularly good defender. He's more of an outlet from left back. But Militao gives them pace, aggression. He's really good in the air. And having him and Marquinhos flanking Thiago Silva gives them a lot more protection around the one weak point in the middle which is Silva's lack of pace in a turning circle. When you've got Militao to cover, it becomes less of an issue. It's been quite easy for Brazil. And through the group stage, they didn't really look all that impressive. You know, they it was very run-of-the-mill stuff from them to get past Serbia. The same with Switzerland. They struggled to break Switzerland down. Casemiro scores in the 83rd minute. 
the Cameroon game we throw out, but the first time we really saw that attack click was that South Korea game. And obviously they get two excellent goals from Vinicius and Richarlison that are, are, are a result of the type of football we expect from Brazil. Quick interchange, individual skill, and Neymar sort of at the hub of it all. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Brazil did definitely play a lot quicker and a lot better there, but I will say that South Korea left much, much bigger gaps uh, between the midfield and defensive lines and much bigger gaps between the actual defenders as well than I would expect Croatia to. They play a lot more compact. They'll be obviously a lot slower paced than South Korea tried to play at as well. So I, I don't expect Brazil will be given the opportunity to play quite as free-flowing, one-touch I mean, some of those moves in the first half were like across, not just like 10 yards outside the penalty box. It was like a span of like 30, 35 yards and they were able to play through it because it was so open. But I don't expect it to be quite that easy for them, let's say. Uh, I thought South Korea were quite naive in that opening period and then didn't really Mm. change anything about it. So that was definitely the best football from Brazil. Um, But it won't be allowed, basically, is what I'm saying in this game. Or if it is, Croatia have done something horribly, horribly wrong. Uh, it, it would just be a very, very silly approach for them, considering yeah, they don't have that physicality and speed to play to deal with. No, and there's there's no way they'll be as daft as South Korea yeah. was. Paolo Bento put out one of the worst tactical approaches yeah. anyone has put together in this World Cup. I think he's he, had a, himself a very disappointing World Cup, considering his reaction and behaviour some of the time as well. Yeah, that's very true, and it's, it's no surprise that he's gone now. Yeah. Um, he says that he decided in September, but I wonder if it was decided for him before this World Cup, uh, because he he wasn't he wasn't good at all, and he didn't play that team to their strengths. The decision to try and to try and just take on Brazil was absolute madness, and like you said, defensively they were wide open, and it was just a really really bizarre approach to take. You're right, Croatia will not be wide open. Croatia have their individual flaws defensively, the pebble being one. Juranovic can sometimes get caught a little bit ahead of the ball. Barisic isn't the best 1v1 defender in the world, but they're all very, very diligent. They're all very, very bought in to what the manager wants of them. Like The one thing about this Croatian team, and it's it's a carryover from 2018, is there's a real team spirit, a real togetherness about this. You, oftentimes you'll watch a team lose a game and you wonder, you know, we saw Belgium, say, for example, lose games. And you could tell watching Belgium, this team, they're not together. This is a group of individuals. It's not a team. But with Croatia, you can tell this is a team. They're going to win or lose together. And if they lose, they are going to go down fighting. They're going to go out in the shield. They're not going to give up. They're not going to roll over. You are going to have to play right until the final whistle to beat these lads because they will always, always, always find a way to come back into something if it's only a one-goal game. And that obviously speaks to the experience in the team. And we know about, you know, the experienced players, including Lovren, who for all his flaws as a defender and as a as a human, as a as a fighter, he's someone you'd want on your team. Vida, the exact same, as a leader in the squad, as someone that brings that group together, 
Modric, obviously, both leader and inspiration. Brozovic is a real fighter. Kovacic is a fighter. These lads will put it up. And obviously, Ivan Perisic comes with more needle than, you know, than a pine cone or than a, what, what do you call porcupine? These lads want, these lads want this for their country. These lads know how much it means to the people at home. And when they step forward for Croatia, they're representing those people in the stands and those people at home. And that's what their primary aim is. Yeah, no question. Um, I, I think that the fact there's been a very settled side has probably helped them as well. Whether that continues to be the case when it's, you know, more games and a little bit closer together and all the rest of it, at some point that, that has a cost. Um, but they've made a couple of changes enforced along the way, a couple of changes in that center forward role, which has just been to try and get the best out of the, the attack as a whole. So it's really about that midfield three. Um, we, we, we do know that obviously it's always been the case for this Croatia side. Um, keep them fit and energetic for as long as you can and then take them off later on in the match when it's, when it's necessary and try to protect them a bit. So. Maybe there'll be another change at left back again. I think um, Souza was only ill last time rather than injured, so he might be available to play left back again instead of uh, Barisic. But That's other... a big upgrade, if so. Yeah, yeah, it should be better. I think, you know, especially with quite a good relationship with Barisic down that flank as well, um, in a, in an attacking sense. So that would be better for them. Um, the only other one, like I say, is is at centre forward where I could really see a change for them. I I think. I think I would start Levida if they want to have a nine. But I agree with what you said. Bring in someone who can drop into the midfield line. It's not going to be any worse than how Petrovic played in the last game. It could help them defensively. And they've got a number of players who can do that. You yeah. mentioned Vasilic, and he's uh, definitely should be somewhere near the top of that list. But they started with Vlasic on the Vlasic right. as well, yeah. Tournament. He can play that role, no problem. Uh, so they've got options to do that. I don't really know too much about Luka Sucic, I must admit. Uh, I think he's sort of a, sort of more of a central midfield player, but maybe there's some, someone else in there in that squad who can do a similar role. Even Orsic, like he's, he's better from the left, really. We know that he's, mm. he's much more comfortable there, but I'm sure he would be perfectly happy to start at centre forward and drop into the channels as much as he can. Yeah, of course he would. It's a World Cup quarter final. Yeah. I absolutely think that that is the case. And, you know, uh, just a little bit of breaking news. Guy has informed us that Raheem Sterling will rejoin the England squad tomorrow. Now he's flying in, I assume, today or tomorrow. So it's unlikely that he will start in that game. But good to have Raheem back in the mix. Um, Just quickly before we move on to the next game, I did a because I had nothing else to do on two footage yesterday, so I did combined 11s for these World Cup quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. I want to run this by you. So for Brazil, Croatia, I've got Allison in goal. I've gone Militao right back, Marquinhos and Gvardiol centre back, and Borna Sosa left back. Midfield three of Kovacic, Casemiro and Modric, and obviously they have played together as a midfield in the past. I've been a front three of Vinicius, Richarlison, and Neymar making it 7-4 to Brazil, which I, I don't know that if people were asked how many Croatian players would get in the Brazil team, they'd say four. But I think it's four. I think it's Modric, Kovacic, Kvartiol and Borna Sosa. Now, what I would say is I think the areas where I've picked Brazilian players, there's a bigger gap 
in some of them than there is between the Croatians I've picked and their Brazilian counterparts. But would you be in agreement with that wonderfully constructed combined 11? <laughs> Sensationally done. Um, yeah, I think by and large, that's it. I think it's much of a muchness over who you take at left back, to be fair. Um, I don't think I would have too many complaints about the rest of it. Neymar, right side is probably your biggest sticking point there, let's be honest. He's not oh, I've, got him, I've got him left side. I've shifted Vinicius. I've said, ah, right, okay. you're the younger book here. You're going, you're going to have to move to the right. Do the, do the fella look. He's, he's, he's just too much of a prima donna. I can't ask the question. Very well. Yeah. Either that or Neymar is the actual nine and someone else wingy over Richarlison, I guess is the other option, but yeah. Yeah. You could go, you could go Rafinha. Yeah. I don't think the balance of the team changes too much though. It's pretty much what you'd expect. Outstanding. We'll move on then. Second game. The Netherlands versus Argentina, and this one I think is potentially the tie of the round in terms of how tight this one could be. The Netherlands were in Group A. They topped that group with seven points ahead of Senegal, Ecuador and Qatar. Argentina were in Group C. They topped that group ahead of Poland, Mexico and Saudi Arabia. But it is worth remembering they did lose their opening game to Saudi Arabia. In the quarterfinals, the Netherlands knocked out the United States, Argentina knocked out Australia, and people who are fourth and fifth generation Irish are outraged at both of these nations because that's, they're the places we go. Um, this is, I think this is a coin toss, Carl. I really do. There is news that Rodrigo de Paul is unlikely to play for Argentina, so that's a blow for them. He hasn't been great in the tournament, but I did feel like he was starting to play his way into form. What's your what's your immediate thought on this game? What did you when you knew this was going to be the tie? Who did your mind go to as match winners and as the overall, you know, winner of the game? Um, the really really obvious matchup is Messi Van Dijk in that sort of central area. But honestly, I think this is a game where obviously the players have to do stuff, but this is a managerial battle as much as anything else. This one's tactics versus technique, basically. Um, Scaloni is like, he's, I think he's proven pretty good so far at setting this team up. He's, he's overcome the issues that they had early on uh, in terms of changing his personnel around to give him what the team was lacking. But it is still quite a team which is... Not exactly in freestyle mode and they can do what they want. There's there's definite structure within the team and there's definite you know patterns that they look to put into place. But it's still a framework rather than rigid guidelines, which is much more what Netherlands have. Uh, Netherlands is obviously a, a Van Gaal team to the core and they will play in exactly the way that he tells them to play because that's the way that this manager has, has, has made the team and it's the way that he obviously portrays himself and what you need to do to be a part of his team. And that will change game to game for them. You know, it was very different watching them against uh, Senegal, let's say, again, versus against the United States, which was a, such a clear, probably the most clear tactical plan that we've seen at the World Cup, I would say. It wasn't necessarily the most thrilling encounter or the most unbelievable approach or anything like that, but it was such a clear and evident plan uh, with absolute and total disdain. So I will hear no more of my supposed one-man crusade against the United States and Greg Berhalter's approach. Van Gaal is firmly team matches in this case, uh, and therefore I applaud that man 
whether or not he's dropped his trousers in the changing rooms this time around. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> what a guy. What a guy is Louis van Gaal. Um, no, I think in terms of tactical approach, I, I think the Netherlands are a cut above everybody at this tournament, you know, especially everybody that's left. Um, I do think they have a manager who, well, he, of the managers left, there's nobody that comes close to his level and what he's done in the game. Um, and he is a, a proper tactician and you'll see him make, like you said, quite drastic changes, but all within the same kind of structure. So he's able to change. Like many people's idea of a tactical change involves taking somebody off and putting somebody else on. Whereas Louis van Gaal has the ability to change things with the same group of players. And you're right. The, the Dutch will play exactly to his description. They will do every single thing he tells them to do. Whereas with Argentina, I'm not a fan of Scaloni, and I think this, there's a bit too much, you know, give it to Messi, give it to Di Maria, and hope for the best. Whereas with Di Maria out, I think he had to be more trusting in his midfield in the last game. And I thought for for an hour in that game, until he started to make changes, I thought DePaul, Enzo, and Alexis just ran that game. And what that did was it freed Messi up to just work in the final third. He wasn't having to drop deep, excuse me, to drop deep to get the ball. He was able to just hang around in the half spaces. They'd get him the ball and then he could work from 25, 30 yards and in rather than, as we saw in some of the earlier games during the group stage, dropping out to the halfway line, dropping into his own half to try and find the ball and then having to carry it. 50, 60 yards just to make an impact. If if Argentina can get Messi some freedom, I think that's where they hurt the Netherlands. But would you be at all surprised if Van Hal says to somebody, potentially Nathan Aki, just follow him. Where he goes, you go. And Daly will drop back in. And where Messi goes, you go. And if you need to, kick him up in the air. Yeah, I guess not. Um, I mean, the most ideal person to do that is Jurgen Timber, to be fair, from that Netherlands backline. But he's going to be the wrong side for the channel that Messi spends most time in, so you can't really ask him to do it. The thing I think about if Nathan Ake does it is that I presume it's going to be Alvarez plays from that right-hand side from the start, and if Ake has gone wandering around following Messi, that's the gap he's running into, basically, which is the most dangerous other attacker for Argentina. So, maybe maybe it'll be, you know, Manmarken to an extent, but not necessarily following all the way out. Um, we also saw Van Dijk, I think, in one of the earlier games from the Netherlands. I'll have a quick look now and see if I can remember which one it is. But he was following... I can't remember who it was now, but he was following somebody very, very deep. He actually stepped way out of the defensive line more than once uh, in one of the halves. I think maybe it might have been... Yeah, it might have been uh, against the United States even when Rayner came on in the second half for for the anonymous Jesus Ferreira. And... 
he followed, I think it was Weyer, went centrally for a little while. He followed him really, really deep and basically just didn't let him get anywhere near the ball, didn't let him pick up possession anywhere he wanted to turn in space. And then it was obviously the two side centre-backs were pushed a little closer together. So it could even be Van Dijk, I guess, gets the gets the job to do that. He has the recovery spe- uh, speed as mm. well. You lose a bit of his aerial aggression, but not like Argentina flood the box with crosses, is it? So No, it's not like they've got giants in the team either. No. So like Tim, Timber and, and Aki will be fine aerially against Di Maria and, and Alvarez. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I wonder is, like later on in the Australia game, we saw one of the changes that... Uh, Scaloni made was to go to a back three. Mm. We were discussing a little bit over whether that was a let's see how this looks to if we match up with the Netherlands. 3-5-2 about it. Yeah, that's, it's definitely a possibility. Because it allows them to keep that three in midfield the same shape even if Depol makes it not the same players. It still allows Molina and Acuna uh, to really push on from the wider areas and it lets Messi and Alvarez stay together. And because Pablo Gomez has not been very good. No. And Di Maria was not great. And also they looked for him way too much in those first couple of games uh, without really doing anything else. So it removes a problematic part of the attack and it lets Messi and Alvarez get closer together. So I wonder whether he might actually have been working on that non-stop for this match. Well, there, there were reports that came out of Argentina that the, the team that was training together yesterday was the normal back four with Paredes coming into midfield, mm. Alexis and Enzo flanking him, Di Maria playing left wing, Alvarez right wing, and Messi sort of floating as a false nine. Right. But do we know that that's what was really taking place and not just something that was planted in the media? <laughs> well, I wouldn't put anything past them, but um, I, they have to have at least a couple of plans, I think, here for, you know. Yeah. One for if they're trailing, maybe uh, maybe the three five two is for if they're already on top, and that is their go to defensive minded switch. Let's say they did it against Australia because they were winning and once shut the game down. Didn't do a very good job of that, but it was fluky, you know, the the way that Australia got back into it. it yeah, was a big deflection, and then you know a lot of bouncing madness happened in the penalty box after that. But maybe that's their approach for later on in the match, anyway. Um, I think they've been fine. Look, I will say Argentina have not been amazing and they've not been the best defensive side in this, but because of who they have going forward and because of, you know, the fact that they are better in, in build up play and everything through Messi and through the other players that they have in midfield now, because like I say, it's a lot better balanced. He's, he's done a decent job in picking the right players to give them what they lacked. Um, I think that teams are habitually on the back foot against them and I wouldn't be surprised to see Netherlands be absolutely happy to do the same as they did against USA. Let them have the ball, let them come on to you when you're really good in shape and look to exploit specific moments and specific areas of the pitch. Against USA, obviously, that was um, looking to get the wingbacks as high as possible, waiting until that midfield and sort of just try to play through them very quickly. What would you do against Argentina from that regard? I'd say it's probably... Probably in behind Acuna more than Nahuel on the right. Mm. And rather than central through the midfield, I think it's central going directly up against those two centre backs because they can be very, very good and very aggressive if they get everything right. They can also be rash. They can also yeah, they can be too um, aggressive for yeah, certain. Uh, and for the pace of uh, Memphis and Cody Gakpo, I wouldn't be surprised to just see them go a bit more direct straight to that front two or into the channels at the very least and let them go 2v2 against the centre-backs. 
Yeah, it definitely wouldn't be a surprise. And like you say, the, the two areas that you can exploit in behind Acuna or playing in front of Otamendi and draw him out because he will get overly excited and he will recklessly charge out of position to try and win a ball that he can't get to and you can play quickly around him. So, yeah, those are definitely the areas for the Dutch to exploit in the Argentine back line. On the flip side, the area to exploit in the Dutch back line is going to be in behind Daly Blind, who's not the quickest. Aki is decently quick and he will cover a cross, but then that can leave space where Aki should be. Van Dijk can cover a cross. All of a sudden, you're getting space. And Denzel Dumfries is not the best defender in the world. So if you get everybody else shifting across, there's a good chance he won't shift. And if you can move Aki across, Van Dijk across, and Timber across to cover for initially for Blind, and Timber doesn't pick up his rotation and doesn't follow in behind, you will get a bit of space in that right-hand side channel by attacking the left-hand side channel. So there's definitely weaknesses in both teams. There's a lot of good players on display. Again, I have done a combined 11. Um, Emmy Martinez, I think, is the better goalkeeper, though I do like what I've seen from Nopart. Uh, I've gone for a back four. I've gone Timber, Romero, Van Dyke, and Blind as a left back, though I'm not massively in love with the pick. Um, in midfield, I've got Frankie, Enzo, and Alexis McAllister, and I'll just tell you now, you're never getting the ball off them. And then in attack, I've got Memphis, I've got Messi, and the third one, if Laturo Martinez was playing like Laturo Martinez, it would be him, but he's not. And I haven't really enjoyed any of the other Argentines. Alvarez has been okay. So I've gone for Cody Gakpo as the third uh, attacker. So Martinez, Timber, Romero, Van Dijk, Blind, Frankie, Enzo, Alexis, Messi, Depay, Gakpo. Um, 6-5 to the Netherlands. This is why I said to you before, I think this is maybe the closest game. Because even in the areas where it's a Dutch player, there's generally a decent Argentine. Where there's, a, there's an Argentine, there's generally a decent Dutch player. I think this one's really, really tight, Carol. Yeah, I think this is the, you described it as a coin toss at the beginning. I think that's probably right. I think more so than any other um, of the quarterfinals, this is the one that is so, so difficult to call. You could make an absolutely ironclad case in all three directions, penalties mm. or either team to win. Like you can make your case because of the players, the tactics, the technical quality on show, the how they've done previously, how their form has been over the last couple of years. All of those are really good reasons, but for both of those teams. So it really, really is a difficult one to call. It could be the Dutch have the absolute perfect game plan, and yet Argentina still win because they have Messi. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Let's do predictions then. Let's start Croatia versus Brazil. How do you see this one going? Quite a tight game, but again, I think like England a little bit, Brazil have been like... Uh, a little reserved, a little predictable up until that first goal. So I'm going to predict Brazil to go a couple of goals ahead once they do start to click into gear. Croatia try and get back into it and late another one for Brazil. So I'll go 3-1. Not necessarily that much of a gap between the teams, but just by the nature of you having to chase late on, maybe Brazil get a third. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I'll go 2-1. Um, 
because I do want it to be a real sort of, you know, the last three minutes are absolute nail-biting stuff. Mm. That's what I want to see from that game. And I want to see that Brazil defence under real pressure. If you're 3-1 up the last couple of minutes, the pressure's not huge. If it's 2-1 and you're getting bombarded, then it's really tense and we'll see what they're made of. So I'll go 2-1 to Brazil. Uh, Netherlands versus Argentina. Virgil versus Leo. Do you want to see our centre-back through? Or do you want to see the Messi dream continue that he could possibly, possibly, possibly win the World Cup in what is likely his last chance? Are you asking me what I want here? I want I want to know what you want, and then I, I want, want your prediction. I want Argentina to go through. Yeah. I want that semi-final. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Brazil versus Argentina in a World Cup semi-final in Messi's likely last World Cup. Though it wouldn't it wouldn't be a huge surprise if he's still in the squad at least in four years. Um, he will obviously be significantly past his best, but I mean it's only three and a half years away if, if we're being honest. So, but I, I think this is this is probably his last chance to really win a World Cup, and I I I want him through. I, I want to see that semi final, but I. I want him to win it. I really do. I I don't normally buy into, you know, the sentimental stuff at all. And I've I've picked France to win it from day one, but I really do want to see him win that World Cup because the Messi Ronaldo debate has always, in my view, been nonsense. Messi's been the best. Messi was the best player in the world from about two thousand and eight to two thousand and twenty, which is twelve years. And through the history of the game, and Molly's disagreeing here, she's a big Cristiano fan. Um, through the history of the game, there's never been a player who's been the best player in the world for that long. But he managed it. And for me, that's what makes him the best, the, the greatest player in the history of the game. I still think Maradona's the best player we've ever had. And I think his... 85 to 90 run is better than anything Messi ever put together. But Leo's longevity is otherworldly. And I want to see him get his World Cup. For me, Cristiano's never been the best player in the world. In fact, there were many years where he wasn't even the the second best player in the world. And I know he's got all the Ballon d'Ors, but they're a popularity contest and not a real thing. The gap for me between Messi and Cristiano is enormous. As a footballer, as a goal scorer, they're head to head. But as a footballer, Leo's been by far the best player of the last 30 years. And I want him to win the World Cup because then it silences everything. Then we never need to hear that garbage again. Especially if he wins it with this Argentine team which, by the way, is less talented than that Portuguese team that Cristiano has now been dropped from. So I want Messi to win it. But do we think he wins this game? Well, before we'll do predictions of this, and I only want like a 10-second answer from you because, you know, this is potentially a question which could be its own podcast, but it's not going to be because I have to go and do stuff. So do you want a Portugal-Argentina final? No. To answer that question definitively, 
No, I don't. No, I I, I want Argentina France in the final. Right. Fair enough. What's your prediction for the game first? Every logical thing in my head says Netherlands beat them. Because I think they're that strong defensively. And I think this is exactly the type of game that Virgil will become Cyborg Virgil for. And be the very best version of himself. And you highlighted yesterday when we potted about the group stages in the round of 16. Nathan Aki has been really, really good in this competition. And we know Jurian Timber is outstanding. And I think that defensive unit, that trio, might be the best unit, defense, midfield, or attack anyone has right now in the competition. I think they can match Argentina in terms of work rate in midfield. I don't think they've got the technical level, Frankie aside, but I do think they can match them with work. And I think there's more weaknesses in the Argentine team. Like, I don't rate Acuna at all. I'm not sure why he's in the team. I, I, I get He's good going forward. I haven't seen it in this competition. And Otamendi, for me, is a liability. And I say that having watched that fella for a decade. He is a liability. Even when he's in the best form of his life, he can always do that one silly thing that costs his team a goal. I'm going to pick the Netherlands to win 2-1. I'm going to go for extra time in this game. I think it'll be 1-1 across the 90. I don't actually think there'll be that many chances. No, neither do I. I think it's a real tight game. Yeah, I think this might be a game where someone scores and then the other team, like, near enough immediately replies um, because it's such a sudden change in the mentality of the game and they just all of a sudden go for it, maybe catch the, the opponent off. So I'm going to go for 1-1, extra time. I'm like you, everything everything disparate and sort of detached from individuality, says Netherlands, do enough to go through here. So since you've already done that, I'm going to go the other way, even though it's a struggle to actually make my brain think how how it happens from a football sense, because they have the player who is outside of that. So I'll go for Messi winning it in extra time too well. I'm glad one of us picked Messi. I am. But like, you've obviously explained your logic and, you know, if 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 the Netherlands win, you're not going to be wrong because that's clearly what you think would happen as well. Like, if this comes down to a, a, a battle of, of in-game changes by the manager, it, it just becomes very, very lopsided in favour of the Dutch, in my view, because they just have a significantly better manager. And a manager who has done nothing for the last couple of days but obsess over this game. And in a one-off game, there's very few people you'd want in charge more than Louis van Gaal. So, yeah, I mean, look, we'll both hope that Messi can do it, and apologies to Virgil, you know. But look, you you get yourself a couple of weeks holiday and then get yourself back for the Leicester game on uh, December 30th, and, and then we're all good. You can have the Villa game off, and no one expects you to play in the League Cup because that would be below your pay grade. But... um yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be a really good day of games, Carl. I think they're both going to be quite tight, quite tense. And I think whoever comes out of them, 
is going to come out of them with some scars. Ne- yeah. I don't see either of these games ending up in a shellacking. I don't see either of these games necessarily having more shots than cards or big fouls, let's say, either. I think there could be a, quite an element of shithousery to get to the semi-finals because mm. that's what's at stake. Now, bear with me on this one. Last question before we go. The yellow card situation, have they reset or do they reset after this game? Are players coming into after. this game at risk? Yes, after this game. Wow. So that's going to become a thing as well, where you you will get some player will have it in the back of their head. I can't get a yellow card or I'll miss the semi-final. And if you miss a semi-final and your replacement does well, in all likelihood, they're starting the final. So I wonder if we might see some kind of subconscious pulling out of tackles or, or not quite committing to something in one of the four games in these quarterfinals. Maybe, maybe so. Um, maybe it's a thing for later on in the match. I mean, you can't really, you know, not go into challenges or be left out of the team or anything in case you get through. Because, like we said, the, the matches are so close, so tight that it's kind of an all or nothing situation, isn't it? So, yeah. It won't play a part anyway. I think we've ended up with four good quarterfinals, and obviously we'll talk about the other two when they come around. But for now, we'll leave it there. Do you have anything else that you want to make the people aware of? Or should they just check the Twitter feed? Uh, yeah, check Twitter. I'll put out all the re- remaining relative stuff on there because obviously I took yesterday off and did absolutely nothing. So. There you go. He actually took time out of his only proper full day off to podcast for you people. Um, he, he's trying to win back the Americans. That's what it is. Uh, we'll see you next time. Take care. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.